Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. In 1982, the Los Angeles Times carried the story of Anna Mae Penica, was a 62-year-old woman who had been blind from birth. And at age 47, she married a man she met in Braille class. And for the first 15 years of their marriage, he did the seeing for both of them until he completely lost his vision to retinous pigmentosa. Mrs. Penica had never seen the green of spring or the blue of a winter sky. Yet she had grown up in a loving and supportive family, and she never felt resentful about her handicap and always exuded a remarkably cheerful spirit. In October of 1981, Dr. Thomas Pettit of the Jewel Stein Institute at the Eye Institute of UCLA performed surgery to remove this very rare congenital cataracts from the lens of her left eye. And Mrs. Penica saw for the very first time ever. The newspaper account does not record her initial response, but it does tell us that she found that everything was so much bigger and brighter than she could have ever imagined. And since that day, Mrs. Penica has hardly been able to wake up in the morning, splash her eyes with water, and put on her glasses and enjoy the morning light. And her vision's almost 20-30, good enough to pass a driver's test. And think how much wonderful it must have been for Anna Mae Penica when she looked for the first time at the faces she had only felt or when she saw the kaleidoscope of a Pacific sunset, or a tree waving its branches, or a bird in flight. The gift of physical sight is wonderful, and the miracle of seeing for the first time can hardly be described. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And there's this seeing that even surpasses this, and that is seeing God. Since nothing is higher than God, seeing God is logically the greatest joy anybody can experience. So when we pass from this world and we see the face of Christ, the joy of that first split second will transcend all the accumulated joys of this life. And it will be the highest good, the greatest joy, besides which the wonderful story of Miss Penica's miracle fades in comparison. This is what the sixth beatitude is all about. Seeing God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And maybe you're like, really? Like, the pure in heart see God? Like, this doesn't, this, the world does not work like this. It doesn't make sense. The world, the pure in heart are the ones who see God? Are you kidding me? It's like, you know, all these beatitudes are almost like, even you, as we have talked about, varies like countercultural. Blessed are those with the bigger retirement accounts. Blessed are those with the, the stronger arms. You know, blessed are those who, are the, the, the loudest in the room, right? And what we find in God's kingdom is that God finds people blessed in a way that only he can. And blessed are the kingdom, of peop- the kingdom people who find these beatitudes living within them as well. So the time is fulfilled, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. He said this right before the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. So very near. The kingdom of God has come near. Jesus says this, that the kingdom of God, and things started happening, and we see this across the scriptures. People were being cured of diseases. Those who had long suffered blindness were now be able to see. The lame were beginning to walk. 
People long held by captive demonic spirits were being set free, and people were experiencing the joy of having their sins forgiven. Troubled minds were finding peace. Hope was being stored. People from all over the region of Galilee were coming to see him. And so as we have studied these, as we've studied the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, they across that Galilean hillside long ago are still as true as they were then as they are today, even for us. And so throughout the centuries of those words spoken on that Galilean hillside, Jesus' words have leapt off the page and are found all over the place in our world, on posters and greeting cards hanging on walls, and uh, emails of folks who may not know who spoke them. Uh, Beatitudes, Matthew 5, and if you have a Bible, you can go there, you can turn there with us. Um, You can go to the page 683 of the Bible in front of you if you'd like to go there and follow along. It'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, We at this church value the preaching and teaching of the Scriptures Make sure you find a church that does the exact same thing, that preaches and teaches the scriptures faithfully. Um, And so you can turn there. And before we do this, the Beatitudes, this is what God calls blessed. And oftentimes it's not what the world may call blessed, but this is what the Lord God calls blessed. People have part of the kingdom of God who find part of this vibrant and active living kingdom of God. It's a life that's a result of what God does through Jesus Christ as we live into the world and in our hearts. And so this is the doorstep of this, the bigger picture of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Long block of Jesus' teaching, a long sermon. And this is what God, this is essentially what kingdom life looks like on the ground, essentially a vision for what God might say. This is what life looks like in the here and now, what kingdom life looks like. It's what happens when the gospel, this is this kind of life is, happens when we accept the Lord, we accept Jesus, and we allow his kingdom to break in us. So this is a result of us accepting the gospel and then the kingdom of God breaking through in us. When God gets a hold of our human hearts and begins to change us, and we begin to live these things out. It comes in Matthew's gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four uh, chapters in the New Testament. And Matthew is seeing this through eyewitness eyes. He's a disciple, and he was a formerly a tax collector. It's about that time of year um, for your taxes, by the way. A little subtle there, note there in the sermon. Um, uh, and so Matthew was a tax collector, and he has been radically transformed by Jesus. He's seeing this through eyewitness eyes. And Matthew's telling us this story as if he were a disciple, like through eyewitness eyes, and he's writing this down according to eyewitness testimony, uh, and he's got a front row view of what's happening with Jesus. You see, Jesus comes to present a kingdom, not of this world, and turns everything right side up. The qualities he blesses only seem upside down because our old humanity is upside down, and the world is upside down. And when Jesus comes, he brings forth a kingdom that does not look like the world. Right side up are the meek. Right side up are the merciful. Our world is upside down, which is why those qualities seem and feel upside down. It feels like it's like, God, really? The merciful? I'm like, come on, pastor, you know like the world just doesn't work like this. And these are the qualities, and this is the qualities that Jesus says, and God himself says, I'm going to bless the world through these kinds of people, these kingdom people. And Jesus begins to change the world through ordinary people who are changed by the gospel, and then these qualities begin to emerge out of them. It's Daryl Johnson who says, Poverty in spirit and mourning and gentleness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, mercy, purity in heart, peacemaking and being persecuted are all the result of the gospel breaking through us. And they are consequences of turning around and embracing the reign of Jesus Christ. This is the result of being infused by God's grace, the result of the kingdom of God breaking in us. 
and working itself out into the world around us. And so this is what kingdom life and the Beatitudes express what life with God, what kingdom life looks like. These are the values of a life expressed of a person who lives under the authority of King Jesus and his kingdom. And so through these blessings, Jesus says, these are the ones who will experience divine life. They're the ones through whom the kingdom of God will grow and expand. And though the world seems to trample on these kinds of people, they're the very ones Jesus will advance his reign in and through people just like himself. So Matthew 5, if you'll go there with me, we'll read starting in verse 1 through verse 12 together. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in what? Hearts, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So pure in heart. We're just kind of centering ourselves on verse 8. Pure in heart. Um, the heart in the scriptures refers not only to the organ that pumps our blood, but also to the center of the human person. The seed of human feeling and feeling and thinking and willing. And the word pure, we develop from the English word cathartic and catharsis. It means to be clean. And it means to be unmixed or unalloyed or unadulterated as in pure gold or pure maple syrup. And the heart, as one commentator says, works ceasingly and untiringly with no vacation and no rest periods. That's how our heart works. And it's a wonderful mechanism. It goes day and night, whether we're waking or sleeping, disturbing thousands of gallons of blood throughout, distributing thousands of gallons of blood throughout the day. And as wonderful as that heart is, we can look at a heart of the hummingbird, which beats 10 times per second, and it's no bigger than a pencil eraser. And we can contrast that to the heart of a whale whose heart weighs seven tons, believe it or not. And across the scriptures, there's more to it than simply our physical heart, but our will and our character. And Proverbs 4 reminds us, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. I will sprinkle clean, Ezekiel says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, you will be clean, I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols, I will give you a new what? Heart and put on a new spirit within you, I will remove you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put the law on their minds and write it on their what? Hearts, and I will be their God and they will be my people. One of the regular prayers comes from Psalm 139 as it relates to purity of heart. Psalm 139, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And we pray that because of what at the beginning of Psalm 139 it says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. And you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. You see, God knows us intimately 
And as the scriptures say, he knows how many hairs are on her head. And some of us are like, well, that doesn't, that's not too hard for me in my circumstance currently. But he knows how many hairs are on our head. And he knows that. And he, and he knows everything about us. And we offer this prayer because those with pure hearts recognize that their lives are fully open to God and his, for his healing and cleansing light. And you may be thinking, how does this work? How does this work? How does this work itself out in 2023 where it seems as though deceit wins or greed or lying? Deceit. We are surrounded by a lot of impurity, as so it seems. Much of our culture is largely unconscious of its influence. The world feeds on violence deceit and slander, indifferent relationships, constant distractions, and many of us go and live into the world that doesn't consider God on a daily basis, and it can easily, we can go days without hearing God's name except taken in vain. Sometimes it can feel a bit overwhelming to try and live into a world where, where being pure in heart seems a bit strange. Peer pressure, whether that happens overtly or subtly, caves in. You see, living life with integrity under the authority of God and under the reign of King Jesus can be costly, but it's always worth it. And with such a menu of the world, it can feel or seem overwhelming to, to be pure in heart. Yet it's the pure in heart know that they're under God's plan for their life and that they're under the authority and rule of King Jesus. And it's important to remember as we study the Beatitudes, all those verses, verses 3 through 12, it's important to remember that all the Beatitudes are describing eight qualities of the same person. Those are interrelated kingdom qualities that describe the same person. Uh, so the pure in heart, Jesus blesses our poor in spirit as well. And poor in spirit know that they need God, that they know that they need God and willing to go the desperate lengths to know that I need God in my life, I need him and go to the desperate place and place everything under the authority of King Jesus. The pure in heart are not perfect. None of us are perfect. The pure in heart mourn over their own sin and the sin of the world. The pure in heart know that they have not arrived and they know it. The pure in heart are also meek. They operate with strength under control. The pure in heart hunger and thirst for righteousness. The pure in heart are merciful. Their own poverty of spirit and grief and hunger and thirst for right relatedness and right relationships with God and their fellow human beings exhibit purity in heart. And so as we have said also before, all of these are qualities that are expressed in the same, that express to the same person. These are all emerge out of the same person, out of one person. Um, and so sometimes the temptation is to say, you know, I'm not necessarily a peacemaker, so I may leave that to someone else. But these are qualities, or peacemaker, or uh, a meek person, or poor in spirit, or um, blessed are those who mourn. And, and maybe some of those qualities you're like, maybe that does not express in my life. But these are qualities that are expressed out of each and every single person as a part of the kingdom of God. And as a result, have their life turn toward him and as a result do this you see and as we look at these beatitudes none of us and so if none of us do this perfectly how can we obtain purity of heart if none of us are perfect and none of us will be perfect how do we obtain this you see we cast ourselves on the grace of god and we receive his renewal we ask him to implant and nourish the character of god in our lives and just before the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. We continuously repent. And that reward, repent, is to do a 180 from the life we used to live and turn to God. And we keep turning to God. We keep turning from sin. And we have to ask ourselves this. 
Are there areas of sin in our life that are separating me from experiencing the fullness of the kingdom of God and all of its fullness and not allowing me to live fully a part of his plan for my life? Sin is deadly and it costs Jesus his life. We must identify areas of sin in our lives where maybe they become more more prevalent. You see, how can I live into the life God wants for me? Just before the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that the kingdom has come near and has begun to break into our world. And then he quotes Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness saw a great light. You see, light and truth are expressed in a person, and that is Jesus Christ. When we grab a hold of Jesus, grab a hold of the gospel, he begins to expose all of the lies about ourselves, and God awakens us to have this passion of integrity at the center of our being. And as purity himself, Jesus, he was sinless and spotless for us. As he lives and reigns in us, we become pure in heart. As one author says, we attain purity of heart, not merely by the imitation of Christ, but by the incorporation into Christ, the Christ who was perfect, who has perfect purity of heart. Christ has perfect purity in heart. We can't obtain this on our own. Only God can change our hearts. We have Christ break in through us and then toward others. You notice what the pure in heart are promised. They're promised that they will see God. So what exactly and how and when? John 1.18 tells us that no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in his closest relationship with the Father who has, has made him known. And we read on and we hear things Jesus says like, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees the one who has sent me. In John 12. And one of Jesus' closest disciples, Philip, says, Show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus responds, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father in John 14. And yet Paul says that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation in Colossians 1. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so it is Jesus who takes on human flesh, the living God taking on human flesh and enabling the impure to see and to live. This is what the essence of what Jesus came to do. To came to give us what life with God looks like and to give us life eternal. This is the kingdom life. And as we grow in God's word and grow with one another and grow with each other on a daily basis, we become keenly aware of God all around us. And so it is that the pure in heart shall see God. By the singleness of the longing that develops purity in a heart and mind, those with a pure heart train themselves to grasp realities that maybe the average person might miss completely. Maybe you walk down a noisy street with a friend who loves nature, and that friend may lay a hand on you and say, did you hear that? And he or she heard a bird or a cricket or a gentle, gentle voice of a hidden nature to the hurrying pedestrians. And walk with someone in the pure in heart, and maybe you walk down a place that maybe other people might overlook. And such a person may lay a, heart, lay a hand on yours and say, there is God at work. God is at work in our world. And the pure in heart are sensitive to the reality of God, maybe that some of us, to a degree, are not. The pure in heart, as a result, see God. What it means is that it's possible to see God at work in this life, here and now. And I think this is what um, Helen Keller said, who was blind and deaf, 
meant when she, someone bluntly said to her, she said, isn't it terrible to be blind? To which she responded, it's better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. And perhaps if it were possible for her to have maybe Mrs. Penica's miraculous operation, she would have said, that's wonderful, but there is a better way of seeing. The pure in heart church have a very significant impact. The person who lives by, by hopes, and the person who lives by this, this the pure in heart have a very significant impact in this world. And perhaps, and as we know this, the pure in heart is what makes the world work. And we know this. Um, we know this in our, even our lives and even those in our society and perhaps um, who deal with the kind of irresponsibility in our world. The whole world depends, whether we acknowledge it or not, on the uplifting, redeeming influence of the pure in heart. Without such purity, the world would collapse on its own weight of crudeness and irresponsibility. There will be a day when we will be completely transformed into the image of Christ and made completely pure in eternity. In 1 John 3, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. You see, only God can purify our heart. We cannot do it on our own. Only God can purify our heart. Lord, help us to see You more clearly. Help us to be purified by your word and your spirit. Help us to have our heart aligned with your heart. Help us to have a heart that breaks for your heart and breaks for the broken around us. Help us to see that. Help us to see the broken even more clearly around us and opportunities for your kingdom to come in us for others around us, in our lives, in our circumstances. Believers, we must walk with pure hearts in the midst of pressures of the world to compromise and neglect the truth. And John 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And the word of God sanctifies us, purifies us, and makes us, and forms us into the likeness of Jesus. You see, our heart has to be aligned with God's heart. Has to be aligned with God. So crucial is the heart, the seat of all of our emotions and our actions. You see, being good parents, being good neighbors, being good grandparents, being good aunts and uncles and coworkers, even in the church, fellow church family, out of our heart tells us who we are. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the what? Heart. As we read and we hear and look at God's word, it changes us. So we encourage you, I encourage you to get into God's Word and pray, open it in the Scriptures together, and uh, maybe you want to do that with somebody as well, and look at it and glean from it. And so what's the relationship you have to God's Word? At the end of Luke, there were two disciples who were quite defeated and bummed out. And Luke 20 is a great story, by the way. Luke 24, it's called the Emmaus Road. Great story, I encourage you to read it. Luke 24, 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So what's the condition of your heart? You see, it's kind of easy to kind of like come and drift into church and sit and have your heart hardened. And Jesus warned the Pharisees of this reality too. Our hearts can drift over time because they become calloused, maybe to the world or maybe to personal circumstances. Our hearts just become hard, hardened over time. How do you have a soft heart in a hard world? 
in a hard world, in a difficult place, we probably have all walked in today with circumstances that we'd like to see changed, relationships we thought we'd have been mended by now, and things we wish we could change. But what about the condition of our own heart, of each one of our hearts, individual hearts? About a year ago, I had an abnormal EKG come back. So I had to undergo a stress, echo, a stress echocardiogram, which I've never heard of, during which they accelerated the treadmill as far and as fast as I was inclined it as fast as they could to a certain speed, as far and as fast as they could before setting me down on the mat with my heart beating a million miles an hour, drenched in sweat, and immediately attached the device to me. So they ramped it up to as far as fast as they could and then put me down on a mat and then attached the device to me and did this EKG. So then they sent me for an MRI, uh, which revealed an abnormality. It revealed aspects of my heart that I was unable to recognize or access. And for many of us, the last several years, or certain events that have happened in your life, have exposed you to some things or reactions of your heart that you never thought were remotely possible. You never thought your heart could go there, and now you find yourself there. It's important to check the condition of our heart. Paul warns the church in Ephesus about those who are not living in sync with God's way of living. So I tell you this and insisted on in the Lord, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. He warns us to the Ephesian church as a way of telling them apart from, life apart from God is a life that is unaligned and dark. And while acknowledging that only God has the power to make our God is the only one who can make our hearts and lives clean. We must exercise diligence, church, in also keeping our own heart pure, too. You see, in Psalm 51, this is David says this in Psalm 51. He says, Create in me a pure what? Heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. He had a willing spirit and he asked God, create in me a pure heart, O God. Maybe that's the prayer that you want to pray today from the scripture, Psalm 51. God, create in me a pure heart. God, help my heart to not be so hard. God, help my heart, heal my heart. Allow your cleansing light to shine forth in my life. God, help it in my lone circumstance in my life right now. God, would you create this in me and have a willing spirit? And maybe you just want to pray that. Start praying that this week. God, pray that your prayer of your heart, create in this in me, because only you can do this, and I'm asking for divine help. You see, we've asked this and prayed this for our church. We prayed this, Lord, let my heart break. We've asked this ourselves. Lord, let my heart break for what breaks your heart. Help me as I draw closer to your heart, God. Let the things that break your heart break my heart. Lord, help me to see the things that I dismiss that break your heart. Sometimes we overlook the hurting and broken. God, help us to see those people clearly in our midst that are in need of divine grace and divine care. Because there are folks, plenty of folks, walking in a life that feels, and what the kingdom of God says, blessed are the merciful, there are people walking with life that does not look anything like mercy whatsoever. Or doesn't look like any, their home life looks nothing like meekness. 
where their home life looks nothing like any type of peace at this particular moment. So Lord, help us to see that. And we can enter into their mourning. So Lord, let my affections and my desires for you be aligned above all else. Have my purpose be for your glory and to see your glory come. And may it begin in my life. Amen? Amen. If you have elements, you can grab those as we partake communion.